0: Welcome to MedVet, a podcast about medicine, vet science, and everything in between. I'm Simeon, a resident at Ipswich Hospital.
1: And I'm Esther, a final year vet student.
0: Each episode explores a topic of interest that is important and relevant to both our disciplines.
1: We hope you enjoy listening and also learn something along the way.
0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of MedVet
1: yes finally
0: yeah it's been a while um so we thought that we might talk about thyrotoxicosis uh, today
1: um which i just call hyperthyroidism
0: yep so we'll start with a case um so miss af is a 39 year old lady who uh, presents to ed with three-day history of a sore throat um, and she is triaged as a cat one due to a heart rate of 260. Her past medical history is significant for hyperthyroidism in pregnancy nine years ago. On examination, blood pressure is 150 on 90. She's saturating at 100% on room air, and she has tonsillar exudate. Uh, Investigation-wise, her ECG shows atrial flutter. White cells are 17, CRP is 56. In terms of her thyroid function, tests Um, tsh is less than 0.05 normal range being between 0.3 to 4.5 and her free t4 level is over 77 normal range being 7 to 17.
1: during her time in hospitalization um miss af likes to you know talk to the nurses and she likes to chat about her cat scrooge And she's worried about Scrooge because uh, she saw him being a little bit more grumpy than usual, even though he was already an angry sort of old cat. Um, And she also found that he was eating so much more food, even though he seemed to be losing weight. He looked really unkempt, dirty, his coat looked really ruffled up and um, not the usual nice sleek coat that it usually is. And he's been so much more hyperactive, really almost bouncing off the walls and becoming really aggressive. And she's pretty worried about that.
0: Hmm. There you go. So both of them aren't very well. Um, so that's the case. Uh, so before we actually talk about thyrotoxicosis and hyperthyroidism, uh, we thought we might go through some basic thyroid physiology. Um, so obviously the two key um hormones in uh, thyroid physiology are uh, thyroxine, which is T4, and thyrothyronin, which is T3. So those are our two thyroid hormones. So it's a bit hard to describe the production of these hormones um, uh, using words without having a, a visual reference. So I'd encourage you to um, pull up a diagram on Google. Uh, Harrison's um, has, a, has a good diagram uh, which shows you Um, the the steps in the production, but essentially there's four key steps. So number one is organification of iodide, which is a key building block of thyroid hormone, and iodination of the tyrosyl residues within thyroglobulin, uh, which is essentially the the basic building block um, of thyroid hormone. Uh, Number two is the coupling of iodotyrosines in the thyroglobulin, so our our iodinated tyrosyl residues, Um, They're coupled to produce T4 and T3, and this uh, reaction is catalyzed by thyroid peroxidase, uh, which will be important later when we talk about um, thyroid disease. Uh, Number three is storage of the thyroglobulin in the follicular cell, which is the functional unit of the thyroid gland. And then number four is the release of T4 and T3 from thyroglobulin. Um, so that's um, the basic, um, st- those are the basic steps in the production of thyroid hormone. Um, so this plays a small part in the uh, thyroid axis. Uh, so this is really important to understand um, in any sort of endocrine system is these axes and the idea of um, negative feedback and positive feedback loops.
1: Mm, it's very important to really Understanding the differences in like hyperthyroidism and hypothyroidism, which we'll chat about later.
0: Yeah. So uh, there's three key structures involved in the thyroid axis. So you've got the hypothalamus, the pituitary and the thyroid gland, and they each produce different hormones. So the hypothalamus produces thyrotropin-releasing hormone, which stimulates the pituitary gland to produce and release thyroid stimulating hormone. Thyroid stimulating hormone then obviously stimulates the thyroid to produce and release uh, your T4 and your T3. This then provides negative feedback. So the thyroid hormone produces, uh, provides, sorry, negative feedback on the pituitary and the hypothalamus to decrease production of both. Um, and that's how you, um, get, a balance of the levels of um, each respective hormone um, and uh, achieve essentially an euthyroid state um, in the absence of disease process. All right, so that's that's sort of the basics of of thyroid physiology. Um, So moving sort of down the pathway now, so you've got the thyroid hormone is in the blood um, and it's bound by um, protein. So these are plasma binding proteins, including thyroxin binding protein, transthyretin, and albumin. And the role of, this, of these proteins is to increase the circulating pool of thyroid hormone um, in the system, uh, to degla- uh, delay sorry, clearance of the hormone, as well as um, there's some evidence showing that it also modulates delivery of thyroid hormone to specific tissues in the body. Uh, Importantly, T4 is converted peripherally to T3 via diodinase enzymes and this is important because T3 is much more potent in its activity compared to T4. Um, This conversion is impaired by a few things including a fasting state, um, systemic illness or acute trauma, Uh, oral contrast agents can do it as well, as well as certain medications. So. The thyroid hormone, it's in the circulation now and um, it now enters the cell and there it binds to nuclear thyroid hormone receptors of which there are two, uh, TR-alpha and TR-beta. So these thyroid hormone receptors then bind to thyroid hormone receptor elements um, in the presence of thyroid hormone and this modulates gene expression Uh, In the absence of thyroid hormone, uh, the thyroid hormone receptor binds co repressor proteins so that you don't get ongoing gene expression. Um, And so that's how um, the thyroid hormone um, induces its action um, uh, on the body. Uh, So as I mentioned before, T3 is much more potent. And uh, the reason why it is is because it binds with 10 to 15 times greater affinity to the thyroid hormone receptor compared to T4. Okay, so that's the basic um, thyroid physiology from um, its production all the way to its uh, action um, at the, essentially at the nuclear level. Um, so, but what does this, I guess, all mean in terms of the function of the thyroid? So uh, when we're, whenever we're assessing thyroid function, again, it's really important to keep that thyroid axis in your, in your head. Um, and the, the key hormone that we focus on is TSH. That's the first thing that we want to look at whenever we're assessing thyroid function.
1: And if you remember from that little diagram you look up, TSH is produced by the pituitary gland.
0: Yep, to stimulate the thyroid to produce hormone, yeah. So um, to keep it simple, TSH can either be suppressed, uh, it can be normal, or it can be elevated. So if we look at those three scenarios, so number one, Uh, let's say the TSH is normal, what does this actually tell you? Uh, It tells you that, or it excludes a primary abnormality of the thyroid gland. The only case where this is not true is when there's suspected or known pituitary disease. So obviously something upstream in the thyroid axis is affecting um, the pituitary's ability to produce TSH. So in in that case, a specific case, Um, TSH should not be used in isolation in order to assess um, thyroid function. So that's where you have a normal TSH level. Uh, Number two is where TSH is suppressed and where you've got elevated free T4 and free T3. So what do you think that suggests?
1: Well, that would be that classic case of hyperthyroidism. Because if you think about it, if there's elevated free T4 and free T3, then that would cause suppression of the pituitary gland and produce less TSH. Um, And that would make sense because that means there's excessive thyroxine or thyroid hormone. And because of that, you'll see low TSH levels.
0: Yep, exactly. Um, And conversely, uh, the third scenario is where you've got elevated TSH and suppressed free T4 and free T3. So um, what do you think that means?
1: Well, that would in that case be the opposite, so you've got elevation of TSH, which is an indicator that there isn't enough free T4 and free T3 in the bloodstream, and that points towards hypothyroidism. And interestingly, um, as with dogs and cats, it seems to be a running theme, is that with dogs you will see hypothyroidism more commonly. So you really, I don't think I've really ever heard of it, but you rarely ever see hyperthyroidism dogs. So in this presentation, uh, we're looking at hyperthyroidism, which is specific to cats. So cats will get hyperthyroidism a lot. Um, I don't think they've ever really gotten hypothyroidism um, primarily before. Mm.
0: Yeah, so that that's Essentially, how um, we can assess thyroid, funct- uh, thyroid function. There's uh, a few other um, scenarios that uh, you might encounter. Um, so, let's say someone had a normal or suppressed TSH and a suppressed free T4 and free T3. Free T3, sorry. This would suggest hypopituitarism, which makes sense. So you've got low levels of TRH which would lead to low levels of TSH, which would lead to low levels of thyroid hormone. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah. again, it's just following the thyroid axis. Um, another scenario might be where you've got normal or elevated TSH plus elevated free T4 and free T3. So this is suggestive of secondary hyperthyroidism. So not a primary cause, but a secondary cause. For example, exogenous um, thyroxine. So, where someone's taking thyroid hormone orally, um, they would have high levels of free T four and free T three,
1: mm-hmm.
0: along with uh, normal levels of TSH because you're not have you don't have that negative feedback loop per se. Those are the the different scenarios that um, you might encounter. Um, I guess in humans, uh, autoimmune thyroid disease um, is really important um, in terms of uh, the differentials for uh, abnormal thyroid function. So uh, we we measure a few different um, autoantibodies. Uh, some important ones to be aware of include thyroid peroxidase antibody, um, which as I mentioned before, is uh, important in um, catalyzing the coupling of iodotyrosines in thyroglobulin in order to produce um, thyroid hormone. Um so this antibody is sort of a general marker of autoimmune thyroid disease and it's elevated um in those conditions.
1: And that would of course lead to hypothyroidism.
0: Uh not necessarily. Oh. So yeah, not necessarily. It's it's it, I believe it's elevated in both Graves uh in both hyperthyroidism and hypothyroidism um linked to autoimmune causes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Cuz we also do look at that particular antibody in dogs. Uh, with hypothyroidism because it is usually an autoimmune cause as well
0: yeah okay yeah so i'm pretty sure it's it's elevated in in both um uh, because it's not particularly specific yep so that's that's tpo uh antibody and then we also have tsh receptor antibody so this is quite specific to graves disease um and it's it's elevated in graves disease
1: which we don't really see too commonly in cats
0: all right, so um, I guess that's the, the bloods side of things. In terms of the imaging um, workup of thyroid disease, um, there's a few different modalities that we use. So the first one, uh, number one, is ultrasound. So ultrasound is good for assessing thyroid size and evaluating thyroid nodules. Uh, number two is nuclear isotope scanning. So this is good for evaluating the cause of hypothyroidism. So uh, you can... Sort of group the um, results into um, three key categories and it it's all about the uptake of the isotope uh, into the thyroid gland so if you think about it it's quite simple you can either have decreased uptake or increased uptake so in the case of decreased uptake um, this would suggest conditions like thyroiditis, um, exogenous thyroxin, uh, iodine loading, as well as uh, struma ovarii, which is where you get ectopic thyroid hormone production. Um, and then you've got increased uptake, which can either be generalized. So the whole thyroid will look, look hot on the scan or um, focal areas will look hot. So either generalized or focal increased uptake. Um, conditions that uh, would um, show generalized increased uptake include Graves' disease and um, situations where you've got Ex- excess TSH stimulation. Um, and then focal increase uptake. Um, examples include toxic multinodular goiter as well as a hyperfunctioning adenoma.
1: Um, and with that note, this focal increase uptake is what you generally see in cats um, due to the fact that they do get functional adenomatous thyroid hyperplasia, also thyroid adenomas. Um, as I've mentioned before, Graves' disease really I, is not really seen in cats. Um, even though it's a very important (laughs) disease in humans. Yep.
0: Okay, Um, and then the third modality is uh, CT. So, this is particularly good at demonstrating the anatomy of large goiters. Alright, so, um, this all leads us to to thyrotoxicosis and to hypothyroidism. So, in animals it doesn't seem like there's as much of a distinction um, but in humans, um, I think it's it's good to clarify the definition. Um, so, thyrotoxicosis, it refers to thyroid hormone excess, whereas hyperthyroidism refers to excessive thyroid function. So, there is a an important difference between the two. Um, and uh, that will become clear when we talk about the causes of thyrotoxicosis. So, the causes of thyrotoxicosis can be grouped into three broad categories. So number one is primary hypothyroidism, of which the most common cause is Graves' disease, uh, which we'll talk about um, in a bit. Number two is thyrotoxicosis without hyperthyroidism. So this is where you've got excess thyroid hormone, but you don't have excess thyroid um, function. So an example of that is subacute thyroiditis, Um, and then number three is secondary hypothyroidism. So we mentioned this before, um, uh, for example, a thyrotropinoma, which is where you've got a pituitary adenoma that is producing, um, TSH, um, and, uh, that leads to, um, increased levels of thyroid hormone production. So it's not an issue with the thyroid gland itself. Um, the issue lies elsewhere.
1: Um, yeah, and with the veterinary aspect of this particular thyrotoxicosis because it is very much specific to cats. Um, we don't really talk about it in such distinct categories. It's usually um, hyperthyroidism, which is, as mentioned before, it's excessive thyroid function, um, which is the case in, all, in basically all cats that have uh, clinical signs that indicate Um, excessive thyroid function so that's why we really in veterinary um, terms we don't usually use thyrotoxicosis it is um, hyperthyroidism.
0: All righties so we'll now move on to have a chat about Graves disease um, as well as hyperthyroidism in general um, as so as you mentioned before it seems like in in animals and in cats in particular um autoimmune thyroid disease it's not really
1: no it's it's i don't know if i've ever really heard of a case of graves disease specifically um in cats um or like in any other animal in general um, it certainly is more to do with the actual thyroid anatomy and structure itself um like abnormalities in terms of tumors and hyperplasia that is the cause yeah not autoimmune
0: yeah so i guess uh i'll be talking about thyrotoxicosis from the perspective of Graves, mm-hmm. um, yeah, with from the particular, um, I guess, point of view of Graves. Um,
1: yeah, and, and yeah. as we go through this, you will see that there is a lot of similarities, even though the pathogenesis is quite different um, yeah. clinically. It presents very similarly.
0: Yeah. Okay, so I guess just a quick note on the pathogenesis of Graves' disease. So the hyperthyroidism that... Um, you get in Graves' disease is driven by um, the uh, thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulin. So uh, this is produced in a uh, variety of different places in the body, including the thyroid gland, um, the bone marrow, as well as the lymph nodes. So that's the hyperthyroidism side of things. Um, And then you also get a thyroid-associated ophthalmopathy. Um, but this is more driven by the um, immune system. So in particular cytokines like interferon gamma, um, they lead to fibroblast activation and increased glycosaminoglycan synthesis, um, which uh, manifests as the clinical uh, eye signs that we find in Graves' disease, uh, which we'll touch on in a bit. Um, But for example, things like proptosis. Um, So that's the pathogenesis. in terms of the clinical presentation of Graves' disease, um, there's a, a range of different things that you might that you might find. Um, so number one, um, hyperactivity, irritability, dysphoria. Uh, number two, heat intolerance and sweating. Number three, palpitations. Number four, fatigue and weakness. Number five, weight loss with increased appetite. Uh, number six, diarrhea. Uh, number seven, polyuria. And number eight, uh, in women, uh, you might get oligomenorrhea, uh, as well as loss of libido.
1: Clinical signs pretty similar in cats. Like that hyperactivity, you get that polyuria polydipsia. Um, you get weight loss, even though they're eating a lot more. Uh, vomiting, diarrhea. And they also have unkempt hair coat and also a palpable goiter in most cats. And as mentioned, you mentioned as well with the fatigue and weakness, cats will get that too very occasionally and we call it apathetic hyperthyroidism. Um, And of course, uh, with the pathogenesis, it is slightly different because it is not an autoimmune disease. We don't really know why cats get hyperthyroidism specifically we do have a number of hypotheses the biggest one is often associated with iodine in the diet because iodine of course is involved in the production of the thyroid hormone so cats potentially have more iodine in their diet due to the fact that there's a lot of seafood products that are fed to cats commonly. However, this is generally a hypothesis. There are many other potential reasonings into why cats get hypothyroidism, um, and it's really not... And nothing is set in stone into why cats get it more often. Um, So, yeah, it's just know that they do get it, um, and it's something that we have to look out for often.
0: Yeah, I didn't actually mention... Um, the apathetic thyrotoxicosis um, earlier, but yeah, it's it's good that you mentioned that because I guess it's in, it's interesting that we use the same terminology in humans, but I think it it means a slightly different thing. So apathetic thyrotoxicosis usually refers to uh, subtle or masked thyrotoxicosis in the elderly, um, who present uh, with maybe just fatigue and, and weight loss. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. So in terms of the signs that uh, you might find on examination, uh, the um, can be tachycardic, um, um, there can be an AF or uh, so atrial fibrillation or atrial flutter, as Miss AF was <laughs> in the case. Um, what a coincidence. Anyways, um, uh, tremor, um, goiter, as a large thyroid on examination, warm, moist skin, um, proximal myopathy, as well as um, specific eye signs uh, that I mentioned before, like proptosis, uh, lid retraction, um, or lid lag. Um, And the thyroid is uh, usually diffusely enlarged in Graves' disease, up to two to three times its normal size. Mm.
1: Um, Yeah, cats very similar. Tachycardic, cardiac arrhythmias, high blood pressure, um, and, of course, palpable goiter. Uh, Something also to... Be of very important actually is increased GFR, which you can see with an elevated USG, one point oh three five or above. Um, we'll come back to that. GFR is very very important in cats with hyperthyroidism, um, and we'll uh, I'll talk about that a bit later on. Mm-hmm. Um, also with diagnostics, which I know you'll mention soon as well. Um, what you want to look for in cats is really that TSH level. That is very, very important is you want to see that decreased TSH level um, concurrently with elevated free T4 and total T4. Of course, total T4 you do need to um, be very wary about because T4 can change a lot with non-thyroid conditions like generalised illness. So free T4 Um, in cats very very important to note alongside that suppressed tsh because that will really give that overall picture of hyperthyroidism
0: yep yeah so as you mentioned if you take anything away i think from this um this podcast it's uh the workup of um thyroid function in any um suspect case of thyroid disease Always start with the TSH. Um, There's again a good flow diagram in in Harrison's which runs uh, you through the evaluation of thyrotoxicosis Um, so I won't um, go into too much detail there but obviously in a primary thyrotoxicosis as we mentioned before um, it's gonna be a low TSH because the TSH is suppressed by the high levels of T4 and T3 in the blood. Um, And then, so you'd start with your your blood tests, your thyroid function tests, and then in order to differentiate between the different causes of your thyrotoxicosis, um, you'd then move on to your imaging modalities to help you um, in that process. All right, so talking about treatment now, um, so the mainstay of thyroid treatment um, in humans um, is antithyroid drugs. So that's what we'd start with first. Um, so there are three of them: propylthiouracil, carbimazole, and methimazole. So these are thionamides, which inhibit thyroid peroxidase, which, as I mentioned before, is um, again a, the key enzyme in catalyzing um, the uh, coupling of thyroglobulins um, in the production of thyroid hormone. Um, so in inhibiting TPO, um, they decrease um, your iodide. Uh, organification um
1: yeah um anti-thyroid drugs again also main state treatment in cats too even if you're going to pursue other forms of treatment which we'll mention in a second um anti drugs are always the ideal starting point um Works exactly the same in cats as it does in people, Um, and it is ideal because it will reverse any hyperthyroid induced metabolic and cardiac problems, get them to that baseline normal um, before you start pursuing other forms of treatment or continuing uh, anti-thyroid drug as a long-term therapy as well. Um, But yes, critical in treating and uh, hypothyroidism.
0: Yep, Uh, it's got a number of side effects in humans. uh, Include. Uh, including fever, rash, I can get arthralgia and myalgia. In rare cases, you can get agranulocytosis, um, which is a serious side effect. Um, And in particular with propylthiuracil, it's quite hepatotoxic as well. Um, Usually we use a titration regimen, so you um, gradually decrease the antithyroid drug dose um, down over time based on your T4 levels. So that's our antithyroid drugs. Um, In the early stages of thyrotoxicosis, uh, we often use beta blockers like um, propanolol to help control those adrenergic symptoms. So the tachycardia um, uh, in particular, I guess, is is one that um, we want to address. So that's used in the early stages before the antithyroid drugs take effect. Um, So it's really only for symptomatic control.
1: Because, yeah, it is very dangerous to have such high levels of cardiac output and blood pressure because yeah. um, it will lead to arrhythmias. So it has to be yeah. under control.
0: That's exactly right. Um, and then number three, you've got radioactive iodine. So uh, this is essentially, so as we mentioned before at the start, iodine is taken up by the thyroid in order pro- to produce thyroid hormone. So when you give someone radioactive iodine, um, this can destroy the thyroid cells and it will only destroy, uh, the idea is that you want to target the cells um, which are, producing a lot of thyroid hormone so uh, indications for radioactive iodine include um, relapse after antithyroid drugs although you can use it as the initial treatment option as well uh, it's contraindicated however in uh, pregnant ladies um, in breastfeeding ladies as well as um, those with active ophthalmopathy
1: um, interestingly um radioactive iodine is actually the treatment of choice in cats. Um, and it's got low morbidity, low mortality, and it's really great because it will leave normal thyroid tissue and specifically target neoplastic and ectopic tissue. And of course with cats usually getting that nodular um, adenomas, hyperplasia, this is a great option because it will target that abnormal tissue. Um, And yeah, so the atrophied normal thyroid cells will then eventually return back to normal function. So with this treatment of radioactive iodine, of course, with antithyroid drugs in place prior, um, the cat will be able to become euthyroid. And that is um, most cases, So 80% of uh, cats that get this treatment will become euthyroid within three months. And of course, uh, logistically, it is easier to give radioactive treatment to cats compared to people. Um, Hospitalization is very straightforward um, and you have to hospitalize during that time when they are radioactive. Giving the treatment is very easy. You can give it IV. You can give it subcut. Um, and yeah, once they've finished their uh, stay in hospital and are no longer radioactive, then yeah, that's the most ideal case. And then they can become euthyroid eventually, which is really great.
0: Right. So Miss AF wouldn't be able to see her radioactive cat Unfortunately, no. Scrooge yeah. is in hospital. <laughs>
1: yeah. um, but, you know, long term gains, right? I guess so. Yeah. Scrooge yeah. will be better.
0: Yep, that's, that's the aim. Um, yep, yeah, so that's radioactive iodine. And then uh, number four is uh, total or near total thyroidectomy. So just taking the thyroid out. Um, it does have its own complications, uh, including bleeding. I uh, can get laryngeal edema, hypoparathyroidism if you accidentally take the parathyroid glands out as well, as well as damage to the recurrent laryngeal nerve, which runs in close proximity to the thyroid gland
1: yeah exactly the same for cats in terms of like you know it's not a great choice if you can avoid it uh similar complications um uh, we have some particular ones that we have to be really aware of and that again is um you know hypocalcemia which can result from removing the um, parathyroid gland um accidentally (laughs) um And the clinical signs that you want to look for would be muscle tremors, cramping, facial twitching, reluctance to move, lethargy or anorexia. And if you see those signs, really check uh, calcium levels, and then you have to supplement with calcium if it's low. Um, And another complication uh, that can arise if you did, say, a bilateral thyroidectomy when you're removing both lobes is you can get hypothyroidism, which you can treat with levothyroxine um but you treat based on clinical signs so yeah you don't want to obviously give excessive amounts of this drug you really want to go case by case and how the cat is doing clinically um so again going back to that parathyroid gland thing this is just a little fun thing i found out so when say you do do a bilateral thyroidectomy and you have to remove both thyroid glands and of course the parathyroid glands connected to those and you accidentally remove the external parathyroid glands as well that's obviously no good because then your cat is hypoparathyroidism case at this point and you really need to rectify that and one of the things you can do is do something known as autotransplant and I've read this. This is actually something that has, can be done. Is you take the external parathyroid glands that you have removed, you mince them up, and then you place them within the muscle belly of one of the sternohyoidius muscles, and they will regenerate um, and return to function. That's apparently one thing that you can do. I, I've never really, I've never seen it being done. Rarely ever heard of it being done, but I've read it. Um, as an actual option. So there we go. It is an interesting thing that you can mm. do if you stuff things up in surgery. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess one more thing I can add to note is because they can be adenomas um, with hypothyroid- hypothyroidism in cats. Um, and when you do remove both lobes and you still see signs of hypothyroidism, this is where you need to consider whether there may be either ectopic tissue or metastasis, and yeah, so that's something that you really need to be careful for, and that's why, as well, a thyroidectomy is ideally not first choice. Mm. And of course, one more thing—I uh, doubt this is anything achievable in people—but um, one last resort is in cats is a iodine restricted diet. And it sounds very easy on paper, and that is you give your cat a very specific diet um, that is restricted in iodine, and you stick to that diet for the rest of its life. Um, And yes, it sounds like it's easily achievable, but you will sip up very easily if you accidentally give them a treat or you give like drop something on the floor and you forget about it and the cat will come and eat it of course and that will just really negate all of the things that you were doing prior because a lot of foods contain iodine it's not just seafood there's many many foods that will contain it and you may not be aware of and it will just really just reverse the things that you've been doing to prevent the hyperthyroidism from flaring up and getting worse because that little bit of iodine is really all that is necessary to get the thyroid hormones being produced rapidly Um, so you know of course if you ask for a person to uh, remain on a specific diet for the rest of their life it's very difficult if impossible to do and it is very much the same thing in cats too it is possible if you can control every bit of food that goes into a cat but you know that's that's hard very Mm. very hard so it is last resort if you don't have finances available uh, for any of the other three treatments then this is the one to choose
0: so no more sardines for scrooge no, and no more oysters for (laughs) missing i guess
1: yeah yeah basically
0: yeah all right so yeah i guess before we finish up um just a quick word on uh, I like guess some complications and comorbidities um, of this disease. So, one of the complications of thyrotoxicosis is thyroid storm. Um, so, this is a medical emergency um, where you get fever, delirium, seizures, you can even get coma, uh, diarrhea, and vomiting, and jaundice. And it's triggered by things like acute illness, for example, infection, um, surgery, uh, as well as uh, of surgery, particularly on the thyroid. Um, and radioactive iodine can actually cause it as well. Mm. So this is something just to be aware of in a patient with thyrotoxicosis um, to uh, monitor for these signs, um, and um, I guess if you're a junior doctor, to seek help um, when um, someone seems to be in a thyroid storm.
1: Mm. Um, In cats, as I mentioned before, we're coming back to this, GFR... Uh, and kidney function overall, this is very, very important, because cats will often get chronic kidney disease. It is something that is seen often in cats. Um, And it is usually... It can be seen as a concurrent disease in a lot of cases when cats have hyperthyroidism. Um, And this is very, very important to note, because with hyperthyroidism, it will elevate GFR. The nature of the disease is this is what it does. However, with chronic kidney disease, you will get decreases in GFR. So basically, hypothyroidism can mask signs of chronic kidney disease because it elevates that low GFR to normal levels. And you can do your USG and it will seem um, normal at the same time. So it's really important to really work out whether your cat has both chronic kidney disease and hyperthyroidism before you pursue treatment and this is why doing treatment such as the antithyroid drugs at the beginning is actually a really good starting point is even in cases like this because what that does is that with your minimal levels of you know trial treating these with these antithyroid drugs it can actually reveal that underlying kidney disease um, when that cat becomes euthyroid again. And the good thing about antithyroid drugs is that it's reversible. You can stop using them and then the hypothyroid clinical signs will return and GFR returns back to normal again. So that's why using antithyroid drugs are so good. And if you do realise that and you do see that the cat does have chronic kidney disease, the next step is to work out the most ideal treatment plan, um, which will allow the cat to be euthyroid or close to it while also maintaining adequate kidney function. And that, of course, is very much individual to each patient.
0: Great. All right. So um, thanks again for tuning in um, to this episode of the podcast. And yeah, we'll catch you guys in the next one.
1: Hope you guys enjoyed listening.